is episode 170 of the Anarchist News Podcast, a digest on anarchist activity, ideas, and conversations from the previous week on anarchistnews.org. We hope it's useful to and fun for anarchists and the anarcho-curious. Give us feedback and constructive criticism by email at podcast at anarchistnews.org. For more information and usually some good commentary, see you at your favorite non-sectarian anarchist site with commentary anarchistnews.org. What's new this week? The Problem of Scale in Anarchism from C4SS by Aurora Apolito. Especially with pieces from C4SS, it's tempting to dismiss some articles with a general, their anarchy is not my anarchy, they aren't changing enough to make sense to me, are they even anarchists at all, kind of hand-waving. And that may be the conclusion here too, but traveling is about more than the destination, right? If I had to create categories for anarchists, then I might pick a few binary paradigms and overlap them for ongoing fun. One would probably be can't get there from hereists versus how do we get there from hereists. These are more commonly shorthanded as purists versus reformists or philosophers versus activists, maybe. But those shorthand labels do a disservice to the actual issues, I think. If the problem with we can't get there from here is that it leaves us vulnerable to kinds of thinking and acting that we started out not liking, how much can we use capitalism before it sucks out the rest of our brains, for example, then the problem with how do we get there from here is a kind of linearity that not only doesn't work, but presumably we wouldn't even want to work, since we appreciate the sensory, vulnerable, illogical, melting snowflakes that we are. And that, of course, is where any affiliations between me, for one, and C4SS fail. It might not even be that we like different things, although that seems to be obvious beyond doubt, but maybe that we use such different language that we have no way to bridge the jargon divide, and, admittedly, inadequate motivation to do so. Being in a few rooms with Gillis did not impress me with how willing he is to challenge his own assumptions, for example. On the other hand, the practicality of those who want to believe that getting there from here is worth planning for can at least be a decent challenge to those who want to both dream of a more beautiful world and break things. If this is insufficiently referencing the actual content of this article, then check out Anon in the comments. 2352 does just fine in a lengthy, I have too much time on my hands kind of way. A letter to conservatives from C4SS by William Gillis. Oh dear silly Gilly, what have you done? Humor is not everyone's strong suit, and when that's the case, making a 600 word attempt at humor with the rough tools of heavy handed scare quotes level irony is not going to be a good look. Here William Gillis attempts to point out the contradictions present when freedom-loving, quote, conservatives, unquote, speak ill of dissent. Quote, And that's the thing, isn't it? Anything is better than anarchy. It's anarchy or civilization. Everyone knows, surely. Either we have someone in absolute power or we have people competing for power in this brutal mess. Those are libs, those are ludicrous, they whine about privilege, but you know it's really privilege. Not constantly fearing for your life because roving criminals threaten you constantly. That's totally how the rest of the world lives when police go away. The Constitution isn't a suicide pact. The most important thing is to preserve the state, whether tyrannical or not, unquote. It's entirely unclear who Gillis is actually writing this for, as I don't think many mainstream mega conservatives are browsing the C4SS website, but do feel free to isolate that one paragraph and attribute it to Gillis as often as possible. Hostis Issue 3, Fuck the Police, from Hostis. This is not an announcement of the new issue of Hostis 3, but a call for submissions to said issue on the theme of Fuck the Police, which obviously has new momentum these days. While I will note, again, that the police are the lowest common denominator for anarchists and anyone else who is even mildly dissatisfied with how things run now, I can imagine some interesting things coming out of the people behind Hostis. Still, though, easy target. Just saying. Quote, 
The job of the police is to put everything and everyone in its proper place. On its face, such a description sounds rather clinical, reminiscent of the boring work of an accountant preparing tax filings. But is this not how policing describes itself? Judges, lawmakers, and good citizens say it the same way. Good policing happens with a smiling face, whistling a tune, and chatting with neighborhood children. Like a game of cops and robbers, they attribute any resulting violence to the bad guys, always childishly pointing their fingers at someone else as if to tattle on the ones who started it. If slogans like ACAB or FTP belong to a larger political horizon, it is one that has also been articulated in slogan form. Une autre fin du monde est possible. Another end of the world is possible. The aim is to usher in an end to this world other than the looming catastrophe of capital by reiterating that the police act as the guarantors of a perpetual present, unquote. Good luck to them in getting this issue out and continuing to bigger and better challenges as they continue. Call for week of solidarity with anarchist prisoners from Till All Are Free, a.k.a. Solidarity.International. Creative URLs these days. The week of August 23rd to 30th is the week being proposed to act for, speak about, and write with anarchist prisoners. The collective even signed a fucking list, so you know that can't be good. Quote, This is a call for you to act in solidarity with imprisoned anarchists all around the world. From the 23rd of August 2020, the day of execution of Sacco and Vanzetti, you can do everything limited only by your imagination. Put some of that vast imagination into action to make people feel your energy and show our collective strength in revolutionary struggle, unquote. The paragraph with a language that is internationalist and kind of privileged speaking has been noted, but will not constrain us. Horrible Creatures by Sever. Just to get it out of the way, this piece is awesome. Quote, horrible creatures are those who have a list, who know who is good and who is evil. Horrible creatures are those who swell and elate when destroying their competitors. Horrible creatures are those who have no patience for mistakes, who make no allowance for the time it takes people to grow and learn and improve because they themselves, already perfect, have never had much consideration for such processes. Horrible creatures give more importance to definitions and categories than to feelings and conditions. They are more attuned to status than to reciprocal relations." Unquote. Written at the end of 2019, this piece has certainly stood the test of a strange few months and perhaps become even more potent in that time. Sever offers their observations on why they've dubbed the horrible creatures, those social media-fueled moral high-grounders who latch onto ideas, theories, identities, and other people only to wait for their time to destroy those around them for any infraction, real or imagined, in a show of their own personal purity. I'll admit that the parallel Sever draws between concentration camps and internet moral warriors is a little gauche and jarring, but I can see what they're getting at with both falling under the sway of a certain logic, though with vastly different levels of power. Maybe. Please don't cancel me. Call the protest on July 2nd to 3rd from Contra Info, a video call out of Chile to act on the Thursday and Friday just past. Translated transcription by The Collective. It discusses poverty, hunger, and the increasing mechanisms for state control, as well as calling for action. Quote, We address you to make a call in the face of the passivity generated by the misery of COVID-19. We are not an organization that looks to be a flagship of the liberation of the exploited, but we make a call to organize in an autonomous way in the various territories, be it in the form of assemblies, communal pots, potluck slash potlatch, and attack or self-defense groups. We are part of the anarchist proposal where both social and anti-social groups coexist, unquote. Black Seed 8, out now, from littleblackcart.com. In these days of Kevin Tucker charging $25 for a Zoom workshop in which he might be encouraged to actually answer the question of what primal anarchy even is, Black Seed is a kick in the ass. 
Issue eight was to be the introduction of a new editorial group out of Arizona, which would bring more of an action focus to the issue based on the experiences and interests of the Arizona folks. And then became, as these things will, a single Arizona person doing about half the content and almost all the artwork for this issue. Luckily, he was fully up to that challenge. Protest, a security nightmare from Anon. Provocations, tips, reminders, and refutations from security-minded anarchists. Worth reading. Quote, Suggestions such as people dropping out of signal threads, deleting threads, or turning off devices before engaging in radical activity are simply bad suggestions. If it is the case that the metadata on your device, such as who you are talking with and when, or your location and your activities and habits, is being used to identify your potential involvement in sensitive actions, then a dramatic change in that activity is just as incriminating as a direct connection with the activity itself. It is better to let your metadata paint a picture that nothing about your behavior is suspicious or has changed, for example, by leaving your phone on and at home, unquote. Some of the suggestions should be obvious, but we all have blind spots, and it's almost always helpful to be reminded of things we do or should already know. Also, some solid commentary on this thread. A message to anarchists in Belarus from Anarchist Fighter via Anarchists Worldwide. An article celebrating Belarusian anarchists, and as an anarchist in the U.S., it's not hard to be impressed with anarchists in actively tyrannical societies, and announcing the possibility of the collapse of the current regime in the face of active social fury. This announcement is written by self-described revolutionaries promoting self-governance and equality. Quote, it's time for mobilization. If people start a direct confrontation with the authorities, we have to be in the forefront and lead by example. Most importantly, we have to create our own centers of power to influence the protests. Decision-making centers should become an alternative to all headquarters of so-called oppositionists. It is our responsibility to be brave enough to become thought and organizational leaders for rebelled people. It is the only way to give free society a chance, unquote. So, you know, a little salt with your article. Anarchy from the Fountain Hill Times by David Adler, a heartwarmingly hostile denouncement of dancing, cavorting, being lost, and anarchy as the home of all those things. Quote, who thinks dancing with anarchists is a way to solve an insurrection? Anarchists want to dance. It's their clever little trick, a method to divide. They dupe those cavorting with them, and it is plainly stupid to believe them. In the past, throughout the world, there has never been neither agreement with nor accommodation of anarchy, at least not where law and order are important, (laughs) unquote. We also get compared to COVID-19. From the simplicity of the title to the simple-minded metaphor, this letter to the editor, or whatever, is a breath of freshness in a complicated world. The original publication really missed out by not using a still from the movie Footloose. Of course, we here at A-News did not make that mistake. Eric King, call and help needed urgent from supportericking.org. Featuring a dramatic photo of Eric in constraints, this alert reminds us that Eric is a target of a level of abuse higher even than normal in prison. This post provides all the information to use in your call and enough motivation to do it. Harass the prison officials, it could easily have more immediate impact than most street actions against the cops. Tons of supporting emails and messages documented here. Uprising Against Amazon, a chronology from the Transmetropolitan Review, an article pointing out Amazon's failings and power gains in the current world, which is neither new information nor even controversial, though it includes information about anarchist actions against Amazon, including things getting burned down, so... cool? This is an unusually focused piece out of Transmetropolitan, which also makes it less interesting, unfortunately. Quote, 
On May 1st, around the time of the arson, a vice president at Amazon Web Services resigned from the company after the firing of whistleblowers who were making noise about warehouse employees frightened of COVID-19. He goes on to write that, at the end of the day, the big problem isn't the specifics of the COVID-19 response, it's that Amazon treats the humans in the warehouses as fungible units of pick-and-pack potential. Only that's not just Amazon, it's how 21st century capitalism is done. He cynically concludes this statement by stating that the Amazon workers are gonna get treated like crap because capitalism, unquote. Uh, reality is cynical, I guess? Is Transmetropolitan no longer anti-capitalist? Stonewall means riot right now, from CrimeSync. A retrospective on what Stonewall was, on its 51st anniversary, and a comparison of it with current riots and protests against racist, violent cops. Stonewall was youthful, fun, multiracial, leaderless, and successful, this article posits, because of those things. Current riots are similar and should continue to be to be successful too. It ends with, quote, until recently, it appeared that much of the LGBTQ plus community had chosen the path of assimilation, collaborating with the state at the expense of its vulnerable members and everyone on the receiving end of racialized oppression. But the conflicts over policing and pride in recent years, coming to a head this weekend in the context of COVID-19 and the Floyd protests, indicate a deep and growing rift and the possibility of radical transformation. Perhaps queer people today, inspired by the courage of Black Lives Matter and recalling our own riotous history, are ready to revisit that choice. This time, let's choose the right side. From Stonewall to the Minneapolis 3rd Precinct, fuck the police forever. Some queer anarchists. Unquote. The Revelation of Coronavirus and BLM, from Japanese blog Hapax by Nizumi, translated by The Collective. A post of a single paragraph. Quote, The political outcome of the epidemic has been the instruction of even the majority on the impossibility of life's justification. This is nothing other than the heart of monologue of the virus, aka what the virus said as posted on Anarchist News, and at the same time what Artaud made clear with his plague theory in the theater and its double. Black Lives Matter is the result of this instruction. This first appeared as the excessive self-defense of the majority, then revealed the confluence with the class of white people who'd been indifferent to BLM up to that point, unquote. There's a bit more than that, but short, literate, creation of the majority, society! In the Autonomous Zones from the New York Times by Ezra Marcus. Ooh, the old gray lady. A sympathetic and historically grounded piece on Chaz slash Chop as the latest instance of an autonomous zone, including quotes from Peter Lamborn Wilson and thumbnails on the Paris Commune, Free Dairy, and Rojava. The piece quotes actual anarchists, and I couldn't find any snark. But it doesn't get any more media-ish than this, so do not be seduced, goddammit. Mainstream media will either make anarchists sound deluded, crazy, mean, or all of the above, or rarely, and following in the footsteps of Ursula Le Guin, too good for this world. This one is mostly on the latter tip. Audio and video, Immediatism, episode 94, The Manifesto of the Happily Unemployed, 23 minutes from immediatism.com. A reading from the introduction to a booklet by the French author and former, quote, house philosopher at the Leipziger Theater, unquote, Ian Pauli, on the so-called movement of the happily unemployed, of which Pauli was a theorist and participant. Squarely in the anti-work camp, this piece touches on the group's experiments in aiding unemployment, including an incredibly awesome piece of software which circulated legitimate rejection letters to those required to actively search for work in order to receive benefits. Immediatism, episode 95, Not Utopia, Critical Self-Theory in Practice. 15 minutes also from immediatism.com. 
This piece by Jason McQuinn continues a series of readings from various Bay Area Students of Theory and Research and Development, Bastard, conferences. For those who have read any of the various versions of Jason's critical self-theory piece, the ground covered in this talk will be familiar, namely that thinking for yourself is the highest form of anarchist practice. On the face of it, I almost agree with that statement. However, I don't believe that critical or any kind of thinking allows me to, quote, define all words for myself, unquote, or tap into my, quote, non-conceptual living experience, unquote. Perhaps it is just a consequence of presentation, but the amount of big braining which goes on here is a bit exhausting. Topic of the week, making money. Sweet dreams are made of this. Who am I to disagree? Money makes the world go round. What are the ways that anarchists can make the most money in this economy? This economy, meaning in between quarantines and its implications, automation, telework, and the gig economy, ever more the trend. Which is a different question from asking, what are the most anarchist ways to make money? If one were to imagine the most stereotypical ways for anarchists to make bank, one could imagine robbing banks at gunpoint, like Sabate, by loan fraud, like Enric Duran, by hacking, like Subcaumandante, Marcos, or like countless nameless others who do so every day. But what's robbing a bank compared to starting one? Or what about starting a cooperative like Mondragon? Illegalist ways of getting by while living lavishly, at least for a, sh at least for a short time, like the Bono gang, also come to mind. Like burglary, black markets, gray markets, flea markets, silk roads, forgery, piracy, drug trafficking. Today, we're not talking of the noble and dignified ways of oogles and squatters. Dumpster diving, busking street performers, looting nor the pedestrian charlatan ways of academia, e-begging, printing books, selling art, and other petty scams and frauds. Sure, nothing's forbidden and everything's allowed, but what's a real cash cow? Show me the money! Throughout the years, what has worked for you and what would you absolutely recommend against? Are anarchists on the cutting edge of lucrative endeavors or behind the curve? Illegalists of all trades, how can blue-collar anarchists dip their feet in white-collar crime? ANCAPs and mutualists, now's your chance. Give us your elevator pitches for get-rich schemes. Hello, Anarchy Land. Ariel here. On the phone with me today, I have my dear friend James. Hi, James. Hello. Hi. So... I am excited to talk to James about crimes. <laughs> crimes James knows quite a bit about crimes. And making money. So he's, he's done both. So one <laughs> of the things that I think is really interesting is that there's a way that the questioner is saying, you know, like the petty scam or the classic anarchist way of making money where you like steal copies and make zines and sell them or busking or shoplifting or that that yeah, I, I don't know piracy was in there yeah so, so like you know that's like trite or old or small time or so 
where's the big money? Where's the payoff? Um, well, you mentioned uh, especially this economy right now. And, and uh, I'll tell you right now, the, the, the thing that would make the most money right now is selling drugs. <laughs> because just like when we were in the Depression, alcohol was huge. Right. Right now, that's what people would love. Yeah. That well, is a way to make lots of money. And it's especially important to have things that other people don't. Like marijuana is just straight up out. Weed, there's no way you're going to make money selling weed right now. Mm-hmm. There's just too many places of supply and demand. Right. Of the course. rarer the thing that you have, the better it's going to be. Right. So, well, like so, for me, go ahead. No, go ahead. What's, I mean, what's rare? My understanding uh, I, of, of rare so, is, uh, um, hallucin- hallucinogenics, LSD, oh, yeah. acid. Oh, yeah. Those are the things acid that are harder to get. Uh, acid's always been hard to get, so you usually have to know somebody. But if you can buy a, a, a stack or book for like, uh, like even like a little bit of the price, you can sell that thing for so much money. It used to be you could buy it for maybe like a dollar a hit. Like I'm talking about paper, not liquid. So if you got a dollar a hit, you could come back and sell that at a homie price for five bucks a hit. At a not homie price, you could sell it for 10 easy. And if you really didn't like someone, you could go to 12 to 15. That That's a lot of money. That is an incredible markup. <laughs> or as the business people say, ROI, return on <laughs> investment. Huh. Especially since there's about 100 doses in each page. And you usually a wow. book is five pages. Wow. So you go up there, you spend 500 bucks and you, you make a lot of money coming back down. And that's just one person can do that. That's just one person. And wow. I used to know a guy in the city that made it. So I had an inside. Mm-hmm. So uh, I started buying it for a dollar and I went down to 50 cents and we'd come back here and I'm, I like to party, so I would sell it for pretty cheap comparatively <laughs> to, you know what I mean? Because everybody, I, I like everyone to have a good time. So I mean, I was usually like five bucks, but, but other people that I sold it to would resell it for like up to 15. So, wow. yeah. And it was always, you know, triple dip. So it was, it was good stuff. Yeah. But I think that that's probably the best way. I mean, I there are, and especially when it comes to hallucinogens, it, they're much better to sell to people than things like uh, heroin or yeah or uh, dope or something like that. Yeah, um, not for any moral reason, mind you. But I mean, you can have a moral reason; that's fine. But 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 as a business, from a business standpoint, mm-hmm. those types of people will rob the hell out of you <laughs> for what they want. Okay. There's, so this is just know, about being street smart. There's a, there's, a, there's a joke that we used to tell, like, what's the difference between a heroin addict and a crank addict? And they said, what is it? Is it well, a heroin addict will steal all your shit. A crank addict will steal all your shit, but he'll help you find it. So <laughs> that's... <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's, that's... When it comes down to it, like, that's the best, in my mind, way to make money. Okay right now so um, there's definitely a whole other um uh social stigma that comes with being a drug dealer 
Uh, there's the morality play that comes with be- being a drug dealer, where people who might generally be comfortable with illegalism and, Ill- and illegality as a whole might be less comfortable with the idea of selling drugs. So if we're going to take selling drugs off the table, now where do we go? Um, well, violence. Violence pays well. That is not um, surprising. <laughs> for a little while when I was younger, I worked with some people um, that uh, they were the people that went. And if you if you sold drugs and you came up short, we came and had a talk with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that paid very, very well. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that actually paid better than the drugs, but it wasn't as safe. Sure. It's much safer to just deal drugs. Right. So, and, you know, get your count the, right. But the, the violence part wasn't safe because of, of my personal lifestyle. Mm. I, like I said, I like to party. And when you work with these people, you can't do that. Uh. I had a friend that was also in our crew and he liked to party as well. And then one day he was gone. Oh. And I asked, you know, where did he go? And they said, don't ask. And I got the feeling I should not ask. <laughs> Hmm. So I did not ask anymore, but stuffing wow. people into trunks or holding people down on tables definitely pays well. So, huh. yeah, that's, <laughs> but I, I don't recommend it. Um, you have to work with dangerous people that yeah, are willing to do the absolutely. same to you. Yeah. Like, like that's oh, the yeah. only, there's no brotherhood big there. Issue. No, 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 there's not. Uh, even if you try, there's not, but, if you like when it came to dealing drugs there, you could absolutely get along with even your competitors. I mean, that was fine. I, my, I grew up in a, in a lifestyle of criminality. Uh, so mm-hmm. seeing my first dead body when I was four. So, um, helping my dad, you know, with a dead body. So I grew up in a, in a world of criminality. So I didn't really see a problem with it. My family all sold drugs too. We just decided to sell different things so that we could maximize profits. Mm-hmm. And it worked really well. I mean, shoot, even my grandma sold pills. So, yeah. Was there something? That's another one. Was there something that you did, and maybe it didn't make as much money, or maybe if you didn't do it, but just because you you know what it is, is there something that you would say is? Fun? Fun to do? Yeah. Besides dealing drugs? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if dealing drugs was, is fun. Like, I, you know. It's fun, I, let me tell you. <laughs> like, you know, I have, I have, I petty shoplifted in my youth, and that was kind of fun. I literally only shoplifted one time in my entire life when I was in third grade. That was the only time ever that I ever shoplifted. Uh, and, I, really and I'm not, and shoplifting is, is really popular, of course, in the anarchist world. And I'm actually not really a shoplifter because I'm not very good at it. I am not, um, I, I'm I not slick or casual or cool. Um, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, ter- I'm terrible at it. So I just don't do it. Um, so that's what I was thinking. Is there, is there something that, well, it may not be as lucrative for anarchists. It might be a way to make some money that's also kind of fun. Um... The answer can be no, because I'm not sure crime's supposed to be fun, but well, I'm just not it might sure turn out that like, way. Well, I'll just say, you know, like I said, like as long as you're not having to, like I said, when it comes to like drugs, as long as you're not 
like a big fish in the pond, which you don't have to be to make money. You just don't. You just don't have to be. You can throw parties and stuff and sell shit while you're there, and you make money and have fun. That's fun. fun. Exactly. Party's always fun. And And if you're the guy with the drugs at the party, everybody wants to be your friend. So everybody wants to be your friend. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows who you are, and everybody wants to hang out. And you get invited to all the parties too. Mm -hmm. So like that's just that's just the way it is. Um, I mean, I find piracy fun. Well, entertaining. So, but I mean, like, I I'm a, I'm a member of a group that does piracy, so I I find that fun, but only because of my own entertainment. From right, it. your personal interest. Other than that, it's hard to make money I, off I, of, off of that kind of piracy. Well, we don't do it to make money. Right, but no, no, no. I know you don't, but I was just saying as an aside. It's actually. Oh, there's not a lot of ways. No, to the make digital money world has has made everything so available that. Uh, counterfeiting than it used to be like do you remember back in the days when people were selling like bootleg dvds of movies oh yeah and because the only way that you were going to get to watch the movie is if you'd seen it in the theaters or if you bought the dvd or you knew that it was like you you happen to catch it on cable at the right time and that was it the flea markets down here always had it the flea markets over here yeah the flea markets always had it yeah and now the idea that if you want to pirate something, you actually have to go to a market and buy a physical object is who does that? Wait, who don't know? Yeah, don't nobody that. does that. No, this is what your computer and is I, for. I would actually say that it would be more risky to do that than anything else because <laughs> you gain nothing. You gain little to nothing besides besides pride in your work, I suppose. And what you gain in return, what you risk is jail time. And. And That's all of us, <laughs> all of us who are old enough, have bought that DVD from the guy on the corner and got home, and there's nothing on it. Oh yeah, well I remember Kazaa, and that five dollars is gone. You know, like like LimeWire and Kazaa, where you download something and you're like, um, I did not think that this would start with a you know horse doing that. <laughs> so <laughs> this is this is not Forrest Gump. <laughs> um. So yeah, I understand what you mean. Uh, so I, I got in. I got into piracy when it was really like in his infancy, and a friend of mine showed it to me, and then I blew him out of the water with it. So I have been doing it since you know mm-hmm. Mini Nova and Supernova, ever since mm-hmm. Kazaa and LimeWire. So yeah, I, I remember tell you right things. now. I never used Lime, I never used LimeWire. There was too much malware on it when it wasn't even called well, back then, but. Yeah, LimeWire yeah, was more trouble than it was worth. Is bad. Peer to peer is is bad. Mm-hmm. Bad news unless you know the person. So. Yeah, no, it's totally true. Yeah. So uh, I, one of the things I think I'm is interesting. Think of, no, no, go talk. I'm trying to think of other ways that are fun. Like I I can't think because the the I've stolen cars before. That's not fun. That, that just sounds stressful. stressful. It just sounds stressful to me. Like, I watch people in movies stealing cars, and I'm like, how are you having a good time right now? How are you just not stressed out? Well, most likely it's because because they've done it so much that that it's normal to them, and and it's not stressful anymore. This is just a rote action that they take. They just, it's every day, you know? But I've stolen cars, and, like, the the reason I stopped, because I had a a crew of people that did it with me, uh, I stopped when, like, um, someone came after us in their other car. <laughs> oh! Which led to a high speed chase. 
And I was like, well, I'm done with that. <laughs> this is decidedly not, not fun. This is not worth my life. <laughs> I can think that's the key, though, right there, is that, is that like, you, it's not worth your life. You know what I mean? Like, that's the level sure. that I went to, is like, sure. none of these things that I would do would be worth my life. That's more important than, than the making more money. Because if you want to live, if you want to live comfortably, you don't, you don't have to risk your life to do that. You know, you could sell drugs or even make them and they would be fine. I knew a guy that made uh, acid in his garage, though it's dangerous because that guy actually messed up and put his hand in it and, and went real bad for him. So, When I lived in New York, I knew somebody who had who lived a very, very comfortable life built on the empire that was their side hustle that was selling weed butter. Oh, yeah. Didn't actually sell yeah. weed. Yeah. Just bought, you know, the edges, the the end of the trim, the clippings, the cast-offs, mm-hmm. bought those in bulk and made butter and then sold the butter for something absurd like 40 or $50 a pound. So that yeah, other I, people could make their own like weed brownies and shit. And she'd give you a little recipe book. Yeah. A friend of mine used she to made sell, a, mint. Uh, a friend of mine used to sell butter and sold, um, and sold wax and he made a wax. ton of money doing it. Interesting. Um, unfortunately the one thing that you gotta never do is dip into your own product. Oh yeah. Like if you're going to sell something, don't yeah. do it as well. If you're going to do it, just stop selling it and do yeah. something sell something else. But he like he had this story where he's like, I'm like, why don't you do you know have the wheat butter anymore? And he's like, oh, because uh, we made mac and cheese and we slept for like three days. <laughs> we would wake up hungry, eat more mac and cheese, <laughs> and then go to sleep again. <laughs> just down. I was like, that's great. That's great. Oh, that's hilarious. But, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty funny. I I I've known people that made all kinds of stuff. I'm a friend of mine. She made um, uh, Reese's cups, like but the white chocolate ones. And this is before the white chocolate Reese's cups came out. And so she made little white chocolate Reese's cups with um, shrooms in them. Wow! And that's how she slung them. And they were it was they were delicious. I mean, oh. and there was like an eighth in each Hilarious. one. And she would tell you ahead of time, you know, but they were delicious because. Um, mushrooms taste like the shit that they're grown in, which is shit. Huh. So, (laughs) you you grow shrooms in manure, just for everybody who does shrooms. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, truth hurts. No, no. Um, What I think is interesting about our little conversation is that we have inadvertently answered one of the questions here. Uh, Or at least I think we have. Um, and one of them is, are anarchists on the cutting edge of lucrative endeavors or behind the curve? And, in, and you are basically telling a story that, the, that two of the things that are the most lucrative, I think, are things that um, anarchists as a whole mostly shy away from. Yeah. Uh, most anarchists don't want to be involved in the drug world, I, I think, aside mm-hmm. from marijuana. Um, I think there's a I think there's a morality at play, and I'm not going to say all because I actually know plenty of anarchist drug dealers. Um, but for the most part, no. And I think, and then in there, most anarchists would take a hard line against the really hard you know, drugs that can do damage there, there to people. Is, 
yeah, there is a way to be moral, you know, moral and sell drugs. I mean, you can do that. You can be that kind of person. I know people that are like that, you know, that see people falling and going, I'm not going to sell to you anymore. It's just not going to happen. Hmm. Like I so can see where there's you're... a line between recreation and life destruction. Exactly. Okay. You know, they put that's it really well. That's interesting in, to me. They, they put it really well in Lord of War and it always stuck with me when he, when Nick Cage says, I'll never understand the line that separates a casual user from an addict. Mm. Mm-hmm. And when you've been around enough of them, you know, the, you know, mm-hmm. what an addict is, looks like their sure. behaviors and things right. like that. So, you know, some people that I know that sell drugs, they don't, they won't sell to people that, have crossed that line they just won't do it Uh and while they may find it somewhere else at least they don't they know that they did their part to say no i'm not going to do that you need help interesting so like because it's always somebody's choice Hmm. you know interesting so when it comes down to morality right doing drugs is someone's choice you can't shove them down oh it it always is right and and, yeah the complications of addiction and and what that means and 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 yeah which is just all that's just a conversation for another topic of the week um, and then the other thing that you talked about is violence. Uh, oh, and yeah. and I think that most anarchists are going to draw a hard line at violence. Um, yeah. And they're not going to, and again, not going to care that that's where the money is. Um, yeah. Because that's just not, it's, you know, I mean, you know, whatever. You grew up in that world and I grew up in that you, world. That's, it's, un, it's, it's not nice. It's unsavory. It's unpleasant. It can be uncomfortable. Um, and it definitely, However, it definitely colors reason... you and shapes you in a really particular way when oh, at yeah. a young age, it, it, when you have an understanding that this is the way the world works at a, at an age that's far too young for it. Right. And, and so then it makes, you know, particular, it just makes you a particular kind of adult. Most people aren't that particular kind of adult. And I don't even know that that's necessarily a bad thing, but it's just not. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, you know, bad thing. I don't. Mm. But like the, when I was talking about hallucinogens, that's one of the things about hallucinogens, and that's it, it's profitable. Number one, mm-hmm, yeah, but it's sure. also non-addictive. Right. right. You can make you could sell acid and and feel you know happy with yourself and your own moral code, but you're not making anyone addicted to anything. And in fact, you're probably helping them at least open their minds. I, when I was younger, like I said, I was in violence and violence was fine with me. And what really brought me away from that, um, besides the fact that, you know, somebody went missing was acid. I wasn't, that actually brought a lot of empathy into my life. So I don't actually think that it's a bad thing for people to do that. So, yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Um, okay. So let's talk, let's answer the questions. Um, you've talked about throughout the years, what worked for you and what you would recommend Mm -hmm. against. Although Mm -hmm. I am going to, I am going to say this somewhere in like the first weeks, the first week, I think it might've been the first week of the big protests slash riots in the East Bay. Mm -hmm. There's an auto row in San Leandro. I'm not sure that that's right, but it's somewhere in that general area where in one night over 70 cars were stolen. <laughs> wow. And you know a lot of guys. that that that's- is like, that's some, 
organized group of people taking advantage that is, of a that situation. Is some gun, <laughs> and shit. That's that's some movie level Nick Cage shit right there. I seventy cars would be a lot. That would be a lot. What <laughs> because one every week was a lot. Right, cars a night would be insane. Because yeah. there had been videos in the days before of people literally like breaking the windows into showrooms and then driving cars out of showroom floors. Wow. And you know, but it would be like one person and one. That's great. And um, and so I think that the people who actually know what they're doing saw those videos and were like, "Cool, we can do this." And they took advantage. We can do that, which I think is brilliant. So I was super stoked about that. Um, so yeah, uh, so you talked about that. Um, we I have made my statement about anarchists being behind the curve in terms of being lucrative uh there's a question asked about blue collar anarchists dipping their feet into white collar crime and before we started recording you gave an example of counterfeiting yes by someone who who is absolutely blue i mean blue collar maybe maybe not even quite blue collar um well well i i know so i mean she grew up uh pretty not as ghetto as me but Okay. Pretty bad. Okay. So, like, she grew up pretty poor, but by the time she was doing this, she was definitely in a blue-collar neighborhood. Actually, I would actually say she was in a rich neighborhood. She was going oh, to... Which is probably part of why it worked. In the, in the Bay, that was, was pretty rich. I mean, yeah. so it was crazy. Um, and what she did was she counterfeited designer bags. And uh, the way that she did it, she sold them online. And the way that she did it was she had someone uh, making them she had a dealer making them and she would buy them at a fraction of the cost. And then she had another person who would counterfeit the receipt for it which, from, which is my favorite some part. Very, from some very, you know, a place that would sell it. Right. So, yeah, yeah. so, and that's what she would, and that's what she would do. And for the most part, nobody questioned it. <laughs> so, so good. She, she, she had a few people who had problems and then well, all she would do is she would return the money. Yeah. And say, I'm sorry, that was the wrong, that was the wrong item. And that would be it. There was never, never any like consequence to that. So, and she actually did the same thing that I was going to recommend. My, my biggest recommendation is if you're going to do anything like this, you should be organized in what you do. Like I mentioned before that my family, you know, we, we, we kind of picked a thing and we stuck to that thing because we didn't want to step on anybody else's toes. We didn't want to get involved in anybody else's money. And then we always knew where something was. Well, she worked with a few other people too, to make this happen. So like, it's always important to be organized. If you're going to, if you really want to make good money, you, you are organized, but you have to be organized with people that you know, aren't going to rat on you. So that's the biggest. Isn't that always the thing? Well, it's the prisoner's dilemma. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just, yeah. I, I, uh, you gotta know whatever you're going to do, you have to know exactly what your rights are when it comes to it mm-hmm, and, that's, sure. and be, and be prepared for that mm-hmm. situation. Know your rights. So. Already know a lawyer. Already have oh, a yeah. number. Yeah. 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 You should have one in your, in your wallet or yep. your back pocket. Not in your be phone. Be ready to go. Oh yeah. No, not in your phone. Not in your Never phone. in your phone. Cause you're going to lose your no. phone. Yeah. Well, absolutely. that and you probably shouldn't be doing things on your phone in the first place because should, they're going to unlock that and it's mm-hmm. going to be bad for everybody else that is involved with you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, because yes, they're eventually going to text and say, where are you? 
So, yeah. But yeah, as far as, as far as white collar crime, I mean, that's, that's pretty white collar as far as I'm concerned, selling designer handbags. I can't think of anything more white collar than that in my life. No, but it's, it's all in the same class of counterfeiting and people counterfeit like wine and fine art and dollar bills and, and that's no, so I think that that absolutely qualifies as, as, uh, as white collar and the, the anarchist world is certainly full of some incredibly talented artists who, I bet if they, they have their to be mind able to, it, to really, really like look at a bag and there's certain stitching and things that have to be exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Or so whatever not the items, they ha- but not, not only do they have to know that part of it, but they have to know like where it would come from, when it would be on sale, that kind of thing, because they're, right. because they're designers. There's a lot of research involved there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because the receipt, involved. the receipt that shows yeah. that you bought it at Nordstrom. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's that's the beauty. That's the beautiful part of it, right there. Let me tell you. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. That that was the hardest bit, actually. Yeah. <laughs> good for her. I'm so part. impressed. Well, <laughs> any any last words of advice to those wanting, hoping, potential budding criminals out there? Um, I would say this: if you have a problem with with crime, um, and you. I don't, I don't see the problem with crime. If you're going to commit crime on a level, you're already going to do it anyway. You might as well. If your moral code doesn't permit you to hurt people, then, then do something that doesn't hurt people. But there's all mm-hmm. kinds of things that you can do that don't hurt anybody, um, not physically anyway. So you can do those things without having a problem and like keeping your moral code and being able to break laws that really don't hurt anybody. So I, I did not mention that I also know um, prostitutes. So that's another whole other section of of criminality that people do that is fairly big right now, especially with all the internet stuff. So, um, but that's yet another thing that I don't think, you know, that nobody gets hurt. You know what I mean? Like I, okay. I understand that sometimes people get hurt from the, from other people, but it's not something that hurts anybody with the act itself, you know, mm-hmm. if okay. that makes sense. Yeah. I hear yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, that, that's what I would say. If you want to make money and you don't care about the crime involved, then just worry about your own integrity. And, uh, I'm sure you will find something. <laughs> there is something out there for you. D- dig deep. There are so You'll many find crimes. You'll <laughs> yeah, There are there just are so, so many, many crimes. <laughs> well, thank you very, very, thank you very much, James. Yeah, no Anarchy problem. land, be well, take care of yourselves, stay angry. Get that <laughs> <laughs> And we will talk to you later. Have a good day. Thanks, James. Bye. Bye. This week's podcast was sounded by Greg. The What's New is written and read by Chisel and Greg. 
We thank Ariel and a friend for their help with the topic of the week, making money! To learn more, anarchist, anti-political books, pamphlets, and other material are available at littleblackcart.com. For news by and or about anarchists and up-to-the-minute commentary, see you at anarchistnews.org and or the Anarchist News IRC chat room, also linked on a new. Anarchist.